more the need. Countless souls among the peoples of the earth who do not know about Jesus. This is the heart of mission. Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, they can all help us answer this season's big question. What small role can I play in God's big world? Thank you for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. Mark Peterson here, Director of CMS South Australia and Northern Territory. And my guest today is an engineer. Let's not hold that against him. In fact, I admit to having secret admiration for engineers. I know, it's a bit weird. I'm not sure if this is connected to my own almost opposite study choices years ago, focusing on the humanities and creative pursuits. Maybe deep down I feel engineering could have been my alternative path. Those of you who know me well will be gagging on your coffee right now in reaction to that. But one thing's for sure, I admire people who can build things. People who can calculate the necessary inputs to bring about the desired output. When you use these materials in this way, in this location, we can predict that the thing will be able to cope with this or that, but not that. A bridge or a building in the face of weather or other forces. A machine or a device predicting how it's going to perform and what the results will be of using it. That is a very handy outcome. I'm sure having predictable outcomes is something we take for granted in the developed world. Reliable technology is just a key part of our expectation about how the world works for us. But in the developing world, it's different. There is a big need for people with engineering skills. And today we meet M, an engineer who together with his wife Kay and their kids is in South Asia working on various water projects. Now, I do admit to taking fresh water supply for granted and also effective sewage systems. I genuinely find it hard to imagine what life would be like without those. But in the part of the world where M and his family are serving, these are real, tangible needs. But there is something I find curious about a person who is both a missionary and an engineer. If, as an engineer, he's looking for predictable, calculable outputs... How does he go about being a witness for Jesus? Are there predictable, calculable outputs that relate to the inputs of Christian ministry? You know, if I do this and I don't do that, will I see this successful output? Will my skills be useful? Will my witness lead people to Jesus? If you head to a different continent with your family and your skills, can you calculate with any certainty what's going to happen? Well, look, I think we know the answer. And these guys have faced real challenges. You'll hear M telling us about collapsing to the floor in tears in the midst of a conversation. What happened there? When we uproot our lives for Christ in a context we simply cannot control, what happens? I learned so much from hearing M share about his journey to mission and this first tour. Let's meet him. It's great to have on the Heart of Mission podcast, M, who's been working and he's with his family in South Asia. He's a gospel worker from CMS Victoria. He's been there for three years. They've been learning language and also getting into a ministry context. 
Uh, they're back on home assignment at the moment. I had the chance to catch up with Em and it's just great to meet you, Em, and uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, it's uh, great to join you. Now, you headed over to South Asia now, it's about three years ago, and I guess there's a bit of a history before this. Uh, you'd actually been there, I think, 10 years earlier. Tell us what it was that took you to this country in South Asia. So I suppose my backstory is I'm a civil environmental engineer and after I finished my undergrad studies, I was thinking, oh, I want to have a gap year. But I wanted to use my gap year as an opportunity to uh, explore mission and particularly explore using water and sanitation in development. And so at that time, I said to a, a local mission organisation in Melbourne, and I said, can you place me somewhere for a year? And they said, we've got a project in Africa, Latin America or Asia. And as a, a university student, my mind straight away went to, well, which is going to be cheapest? So I went to Asia. And yeah, that was 13 years ago now. And in that year, God really put on my heart a love for Muslims um, and a desire to see the gospel in Asia. And so along comes your now wife. You start dating. And I guess there's the question, you know, is this could this work for you guys to go overseas? Were you a bit worried about whether she might be on board with this, did you? What did you do? Yes, yeah, so obviously when we started dating, thinking about life overseas, um, mission, often came up. I was fortunate in that my wife, she grew up as a missionary kid in West Africa. And so when she then came and visited South Asia with me, um, it actually felt quite familiar. And so within a, a three-week period of time of visiting uh, South Asia, this is now six years ago, um, it very quickly became apparent that, yep, we could comfortably uh, live in that context and had a real sense that that was where God was leading us to give the next chunk of years. Okay, so winding forward, you found yourself on location with your wife and you spent 18 months learning the language and starting to work out what the project would be. And the original project was really focusing in the area of safe drinking water. Tell us about that and, and how that went. Yeah, so after an initial period of 18 months, as you just said, of focusing on language and culture learning, and in that window of time, we also welcomed our second son into the world, into our family, and that was obviously a delight. And then I started in the project office. Uh, so this is a project which aims to provide safe drinking water in rural villages at, around our town. So we don't live in the capital city. We live about eight hours from the capital city, a town of about 400,000 people. And in the surrounding villages, there are just thousands and thousands of people who still don't have access to safe drinking water. So that was what our project was doing. And as I joined, I was really excited because part of this project uh, there were about six local believers who'd come to faith in Jesus from a Muslim background. And so as I was joining the office, I was thinking, yes, like these are going to be our people. This is where I'll form some, some really close relationships. But actually that's not quite how it played out. Okay, so about six, uh, six months into this, I, I think you were feeling that your reception there actually hadn't been what you'd been expecting. And, and another cross-cultural worker uh, from a different context asked you how you were going and uh, what happened after 
he asked you that question? Yeah, so they, they asked me how I was going and actually my response was just to break down in tears. Right. Um, my legs went out from under me and I just found myself sitting on the floor of our flat uh, just sobbing because really? the office had been so hard. So what was making it so hard? Where'd that come from? So it was a combination of expecting to be welcomed more warmly uh, and feeling a very cold reception, which felt so strange in contrast to the welcome that we'd got from so many of our, our Muslim neighbours and other Muslim friends that we'd made. And so there was real confusion there. It's why, why, why is there this cold reception? And additionally, there had been a lack of clarity around roles. And so there were some days when I would feel completely superfluous in the office. It was a good project, but it was running really well without foreign involvement. And so all of a sudden I was there, but I was also feeling that I wasn't needed. And so, you know, there were definitely days when I'd get to the end of my time in the office and I'd feel that the best contribution I'd made that day was suggesting that they turn the printer off and on again. <laughs> so this other cross-cultural worker then decides to begin praying for you for opportunities. What happened next? Yeah, so there were two things. One, they, they prayed specifically for opportunities to eat together. And then a, a few weeks after that, the leader of the project said, we're going to have a, a team meeting and we're all going to eat together. And this was the first time that we'd all, all eaten together. So straight away, you see an answer to prayer there. And also with time, I got the sense of God just prompting me to say, well, go to the, the project leader uh, he's a wise, mature believer from a Muslim background. He's suffered much for the gospel. Go to him and just ask if you can just pray. Ask if you can read the Bible and pray together once a week outside of office hours and just see where that goes. Yeah, and what was the response? Yeah, so God was really kind. Uh, this, this man, the project leader, he agreed to pray and so we started praying together for an hour each week, week in and week out for the next eight months until we came home on home assignment. And by the end of uh, those eight months of praying together, he said to me, he said, actually, when you first arrived in our town, I didn't want you here. I just thought, oh, here's another foreigner who's going to complicate things and make things harder for us. But he went on and said, but, but now... I can see that God has given me a real brother in Christ in you and I am so glad that God has brought your family to our town. Wow, that must have been a great encouragement to you to hear those words and a reminder of the power of prayer and the, the value of Christian fellowship and that this Christian fellowship, you know, reaches across our cultures. But sometimes there are just these these barriers that, we, that we, we just need to be taken away. Yep, and it, it was so encouraging um, having him say that, but I think even more than that was actually just the experience of praying with him week in, week out, of listening to his prayers, of learning to pray in the local language based on the prayers he was praying, of praying with him for the locals that he was reaching out to with the gospel and to see in that time of prayer uh, to hear from him of his older sister becoming a believer in Jesus um, in that eight-month window of time. And so it was just, yeah, a super encouraging outcome. Now, you go overseas wanting to be in the most useful kind of place you can be in. 
and to, to have God use you. And you never know what that's going to look like. You have to trust Him in some ways. You try something. And, uh, and sometimes uh, overseas workers do find that their context needs to change. Uh, now, you've come back on home assignment. You've been visiting your churches and had some great sharing context. But when you head back... Uh, in, in about a month or so, you're going into a new context, aren't you? You were working in safe drinking water context. It's, it's a little bit different. Tell us about the, the project work that you're going to be doing. Yeah, so I'm going to be returning and joining a urban sanitation project. As I said before, our town is 400,000 people and we don't have a sewer system. It's all dependent on septic systems. And a lot of those septic systems aren't properly connected, aren't properly maintained. And so the outcome of that is that you get just raw sewerage in the stormwater drains, um, being discharged straight into rivers, making some real public health issues. And so I've been invited by a secular organisation to join their team uh, as they work in close collaboration with the local government to address urban sanitation challenges. Now, you've got a bit of a history in the in this, um, sanitation kind of area. This, this fits uh, quite well, your background and so on. But you've also got a bit of a, a, a theological picture on, on the whole question of sewage. Yeah. So um, when I read Revelation, I, you know, I love the picture of, of heaven. And you, you read of the streets lined with gold. Yeah. And then when I, I contrast the streets lined with gold in, in heaven with the streets that are flowing with sewerage waste in, in our town, and I go, well, well, clearly God can't be happy with this. And as Christians, we do pray, um, Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's the picture of what God's kingdom looks like in heaven, then God cares deeply about safely managed sanitation systems and about safe and dignified access to healthy sanitation um, here on earth as well. Great. So the context is going to be quite different, isn't it? In the previous context, you had a number of uh, believers with a Muslim background, but Christians. In this context, you're, you're not sure, that there may not be any believers in this, uh, in this context. And you're working with a government, oh no, it's a non-government organisation, but with backing from the government. How does that work for your, your mission? I mean, I gather that you really care for Muslim people. What, what's this going to look like for you? I'm really excited about joining this, this project. I'm excited about the, just the inherent good uh, in the project, you know, just the sanitation work. It is good and it is God's work in redemption. But, yeah, as, as you said, obviously I, I also have a, a real heart for, for Muslims and for Muslims to hear and then respond to uh, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, yeah, so I don't know what the context in the office will be exactly. Um, it will be um, heavily um, Muslim. Most of my colleagues will be Muslim. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the relationships that will be able to be developed. I'm excited about the opportunity to speak of the hope that I have in Jesus into different life contexts, into different work contexts. And obviously, ultimately, we are praying that God will be at work by his spirit to open people's hearts and minds uh, to believe and to have faith and to respond to the gospel of Jesus. Now, you've said that it's just rolled off your tongue like that, but that is a really big prayer, isn't it? Because for this, for this people and probably for a lot of different parts of the world, 
everyone in the culture is Muslim. It's your culture, it's your life, it's your family. Changing, you know, to believe in Jesus would be a massive thing. And so therefore, your prayer that there might be breakthroughs by the Holy Spirit, that people might come to know Jesus, is a big thing. How are you feeling about that? And, you know, what if it takes a long time and how are you going to go about this? How are you going to approach it? Yeah. So we know that we know that it, it does take a long time. Uh, we know that there have been cross-cultural workers working in our town um, for decades. We know that the little community of believers from a Muslim background continues to be very fragile, to struggle. Yeah, so we, we know that it is a long, hard work. But we also know that, that God is good and we have great encouragement by the believers who are there. God has worked a miracle in that that there are believers there. God has worked a miracle in that there are believers in neighbouring towns as well. So we're super encouraged by what God has done and we seek to be patient because God works in his timing, which is always the right timing, um, just not always the timing that we want. So we're yeah excited about what God has done, I'm prayerful and hopeful but realistic about what God might continue to do um, and just incredibly honoured and humbled to walk alongside the believers who are there. These are people who have endured much for the gospel and it is so humbling hearing their stories, so, so humbling that they choose to trust us with their stories, to trust us with their prayer points. Um, it's, it's a gift. Mm. It's such a good thing. I'm so encouraged by your story. And in some ways you've, you've kind of put yourself in a place where there's almost no Christian fellowship. That must be a challenging thing to, and I, know, I gather there aren't lots of um, Christians that you can fellowship within what we sort of know as going to church on Sunday and that kind of stuff. But I do love the fact that you are there right in the midst of these people who need to hear the message of Christ. And yet the numbers to, to kind of be with you and support you locally are really quite small. I guess you're really going to have to depend on the support from of prayer from people back here in Australia. And How are you feeling about all that? Yeah, I mean, we definitely do depend very heavily on the prayer of Australians um, and people all around the world. And if you asked me what was one thing, what was the thing that you learned in your first term, I would say it is the faithfulness of God in hearing and responding to prayers. Um, and we, we joke that we could fill an, in, an entire session at, at Summer Under the Sun just reading out answered prayers from the last three years. And so that encourages us as we move ahead and as we return to Asia, excited by the fact that God's people will be praying and that God will be hearing those. Now, I love the fact that Paul, he writes and he says, you know, join me in this struggle through your prayers. It, is, it isn't easy, but the prayers of the saints is an integral part uh, of the work that God is doing. Um, and we're, we're, again, just so humbled. You know, we, we meet people at, at Link Churches and they'll, they'll come up to us and be like, Tuesday, your day is Tuesday. Okay. I pray for you every Tuesday. And that is so humbling. Yeah, yeah. Um, just remember Amazing. it every Tuesday, yeah. the prayers are going. Yeah. Yeah. And now your, your wife Kay has had some opportunities in amongst the, the, in the 
place where you live as well. So it's not just about the work context, it's also the living context. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we live in a a four-storey apartment block with four flats on each floor. So 16 families, about 60 people in the building, Um, 10 kids under the age of 10 who are straight away just playmates with our boys. And, yeah, my wife has had so many opportunities to get to know, to be vulnerable with, to have people, neighbours, other young mums in our building share their vulnerabilities with her. One day my wife was hanging nappies up on the roof at early in the morning and another young mum came up onto the roof and my wife just said, how's it going? And this other young mum, 22 years old, she just burst into tears and she just said, it's so, so hard. And and my wife was able just to walk over and say, I want to give you a hug. And she just said, I know that God knows you. God loves you. God sees your pain and your struggles. And can I pray for you in Jesus' name that you might know the love and the peace of God? And what did this other mum say when she offered to pray in Jesus' name? Yeah, they they say yes all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so encouraging. I mean, I guess taking your family over is part of the challenge, isn't it? And and you've already described the need for sewage works. I mean, that must make life practically quite different from what it's like here in Australia. What's that been like for you? I think that there are challenges of raising kids wherever you are, and it's the same overseas. That said, there's also incredible joys of, of seeing your kids becoming friends with your neighbour's kids, incredible openings relationally that having kids brings, being invited into homes, invited to share meals. Yes, so many times that actually having kids just opened doors to offer and to receive hospitality. And so that's been, yeah, an exciting thing to see and exciting to see the boys as they have are grown in their use of the local language, grown in their friendships. By the time we were leaving every day, there would always be other young boys from our building coming and spending two or three hours just playing in our flat and their mums coming and having cups of, of tea with my wife and it's really rich. Yeah, that's fabulous. It, certainly from what you've been saying, it, it sounds like you've had really strong connections with the people that you've gone to, to love and to serve amongst. It sounds like that's been in some ways part of the, the real joy for you and, and it's in a sense a sustenance of what you're doing. I guess you're looking forward to going back and seeing these people and continuing those relationships and serving them and loving them. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we don't want to sugarcoat it too much. Like there are times when the heat's really high, the humidity's high, and every day feels long and tiring and, and mundane. But yeah, it is. It's the relationships that sustain you. It's, it's the hope that some of our neighbours might engage with scripture. That sustains you. So yeah, we, we are excited about going back in just over a month and uh, continue to pray for, for our neighbours. I continue to pray for the new workspace that, that we're entering into. God is faithful. Mm. What would you say to others who may be hearing you and thinking, you know, it is a big bridge to cross, you know, what you've done, but they do have, you know, maybe some professional skills or, you know, that might be transferable to a mission context, but it's kind of too hard or it just feels like it's 
just a bit too much. What would you say to somebody with a passion for Christ but still with those facts? So obviously it begins with a conversation with Jesus, doesn't it? Talk to Jesus, don't listen to my advice. And having said that, I'll give you some advice. Um, look, if, if, if they're young people, I would say, you know, you know, university students, young professionals, be willing to take three months, six months, a year, have a gap year, but don't just travel. Uh, go and immerse yourself in a culture and a language and get a, a taste of, of what it's like and see if God actually is sustaining you and equipping you and giving you a joy in that. If you're a young family, maybe a first step is choosing to move location within the city that you're currently living in. Move to a suburb with a, a higher percentage of, of new migrants or a higher percentage of, of Muslims and pray specifically for Muslim neighbours. Enjoy and learn and embrace our hospitality with um, migrants here in Australia as, as a first starting point. But also, you know, be willing to to keep considering going long-term as an option because one of the gifts of the gospel is that it's God who sends us, but it's also God who sustains us by his grace. Um, so nothing is in the too hard basket for God, uh, and that includes sustaining us when we feel out of our depth. Mm. I've so enjoyed chatting with you, Em. Thanks so much for being on the Heart of Mission podcast and for sharing a little bit of uh, this story, which is a, a story that's still unfolding. This next chapter is just ahead for you. Um, we're really excited to hear about what you're doing and we do hope and pray that God continues to flourish the work you're doing, give you more and more opportunities and, uh, that, and that the name of Jesus is honoured through the work that you'll do in this next season. Thanks so much for being with us. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Nothing is in the too hard basket for God. An entire session of summer conference devoted to telling about answered prayers, what would that be like? And what about that idea of immersing yourself overseas in a culture for a time and seeing what it's like, or moving your family somewhere locally to give you cross-cultural witnessing opportunities right here in Australia, or that big challenge of a long-term commitment to a people group in another part of the world? One of my takeaways from this is that M's engineering has given him and his family incredible opportunities to witness for Christ. But in many ways, the engineering itself, although it was critical to the door even being open for this family, and it occupies a fair amount of M's time each day, the engineering isn't the key piece here. I think M and K's story is about them using what they can to get shoulder to shoulder apartment wall to apartment wall with those from a gospel poor people and language group. What could it look like for you? What skills do you have that could open doors to witnessing for Jesus in a place that would not be easy and would not be predictable or calculable, but under God could bear fruit for the kingdom of Jesus? As for M&K, you can sign up for their regular prayer updates on the CMS Victoria website. And of course, you can also support them financially via that means. Next episode, we're talking with a guy who's a fairly well-known name around Australian evangelical circles. And he also happens to be the editor of CMS's quarterly Checkpoint magazine. But as some of you will know, Gordon Cheng was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
I was nervous about inviting him to be on the podcast because I didn't want to put him in the spotlight at a time when he has so much to process. But it turns out he was pretty keen to share. I mean, I wanted to know whether this confrontation with his mortality had made him reconsider or maybe tone down his lifelong love of global mission and the gospel. Well, if you know him, you may already be able to predict the answer. Either way, I'm sure you will be encouraged by what Gordon has to say. Stay tuned. To discover more about CMS and the opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch info and local social media channels. We work with churches to set apart, equip and support long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For a world that knows Jesus. See you next time.